Waiting lists used to be common in media. Advertisers would queue up well in advance for the opportunity to have their brands displayed in the best magazines and alongside the most popular TV shows. Those were the good days to be a media executive. And it's perhaps a reason why feet propped up on a rich mahogany desk remains a stereotype in business today. Nothing's quite as nice as taking a siesta after telling a mass of advertisers they will not pass. It goes without saying that things aren't quite as cruisy any longer. And as TVNZ Chief Executive Kevin Kenrick sits down for a chat, it's clear he's juggling quite a few challenges as he strives to build a sustainable business. Thanks for hitting the play button. This is the Stop Press Podcast, and I'm Davian Venuto. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks so very much for taking the time to chat to us on this busy afternoon for TVNZ. Are you looking forward to the proceedings this evening? Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we've got a number of events that we participate in the industry throughout the year, but the high point for us is always this one because it's about who we are and what we're about. It's about the content. Um, obviously, this year's event comes off the back of what's been quite a tough financial result for, for the business. Mm-hmm. Um, are you feeling an enormous amount of pressure to deliver in 2018? Um, no more so than I've felt every year. You know, um, last year for us, we tidied up a whole bunch of things. Yeah. You know, so our financial results reflected a number of one-offs. You know, we wrote off an onerous content deal. We uh, we exited some lease agreements. We had some significant restructuring costs through the business. The good thing for us is with that behind us, we've now rebaselined the operating costs in the business. And so we've got a sustainable cost base. So that gives us real confidence about investing to grow the business because we know that we've got the financial capacity to be able to do that and to do that confidently. On the topic of that onerous, um, onerous contract with Disney, what are you guys doing to ensure that those types of contracts don't happen again? And how, how, how does something like that happen to a business in the first place? Well, when you look at the history of those agreements, they were, they were, they were struck many, many years ago. Okay. And, and in that time, we paid a fee to have exclusive rights to content in this local geography. Mm-hmm. What's happened since that time is the rights, the, the, the exclusivity has been eroded. So you've got subscription video on demand, you've had a growth in piracy, and so what you've got is deals that have you locked into an exclusive price but getting effectively non-exclusive benefits. Yeah. And, and so there's just a need to realign those, and I think the market dynamics have changed so significantly that the value of them is no longer what they were. So um, in, in that sense, when TVNZ um, announces new content deals, as you guys will be doing tonight, mm-hmm. um, the types of content deals have changed to some degree as well because they're, they're, yeah. more, they're more exclusive now. They're, they're adding in um, things that perhaps weren't included in the past. Yeah, you'd like to think that the most recent deals are the most suited to the market environment of the day and the more historic they are, the more the risk is that they're based on previous constructs. Yeah. yeah. So, do you think that there's still a lot of work to be done to to break down those previous constructs and constructs and to ensure that the the modern deals do encapsulate what the modern media environment is? I think the challenge is that the pace of change tends to be far greater than the refresh rate of the contracts. Okay. So, 
So I think what you what a natural reaction to that is the contract terms become shorter. Okay. So you can mitigate that risk. But you know, we've had an opportunity last year to go through and look at every aspect of the business and set it up for a sustainable future. And so we kind of feel we've done that housekeeping and we're pretty confident about what it looks like from here. On the topic of preparing yourself for the future, you guys have made some key hires with people like Kim Niblock coming into to, to the business. What role do you see them playing? Like she's almost like a future gazer in the sense that she she has to predict what's going to happen in order and prepare the business for, for what might happen, which is quite an odd role. <laughs> well... The thing with this industry is it's, um, it's you're as good as the talent that you've got. Yeah. And, and quite often when we talk about talent, everyone thinks about on-screen talent, which is important, but so too is the talent through the business and the thought leadership talent. So for us, the smarter the people that we've got in the business, the better decisions we're going to make and the more successful we're going to be. And you know, we've had an opportunity through a number of changes to bring in some fresh enthusiasm, energy and new ideas and you know that's pretty invigorating for any business. In, in terms of bringing in those fresh ideas and um, some, some new concepts to the business, um, are you looking at any international examples at the moment that you could maybe learn something from that you could maybe um, employ in the local market? Yeah, we, we're constantly looking at what else is happening around the world. In fact, we're doing a piece of work right now to say, look at players that are not dissimilar to us who's doing what, which of those things have been successful, and just as importantly, which ones haven't. The, the really important thing for us is to look at markets that are similar to ours. So the scale of our market means that not everything that you see internationally can be applied here. Um, of course. So, so it means you look in different places to get those insights. So would a country like Ireland, for example, would that be a good example of something that you guys might look at? Yeah, I mean, Ireland's a good scale comparison. Uh, Scandinavian countries oh, are also. And then I think with some of the larger markets is looking within subgroups within those. Okay. And um, what are you picking up in those markets? What, what are they doing that's quite interesting? Well, the first thing is everyone's confronting the same challenges. So okay. the challenges to the media market are global in nature. And and from that point of view, that's it's kind of reassuring to say, well, hey, we're all in the same boat here. Um, I think my, I guess my theory on it is I think that the smaller markets have to confront those things faster okay. because you've got less buffer, you've got less scale to, yeah. to buffer you from the impact. So you have to respond more urgently. So you don't and have like a million people to, 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 to stop the, yeah, the decline yeah. of ad revenue essentially. Yeah, and, and so you know, if you look at, so even, even compare New Zealand to Australia, right, the, the challenges are the same, but the advertising spend in Australia is four or five times what it yeah. is in New Zealand. The number of viewers is equally that much larger, and and therefore you've got a little bit more time within which you can respond. So it does mean that you can't necessarily look around the world and say, "Here's a whole bunch of others that have gone before us and yeah. addressed it." But at the same time, we've got the flexibility. We should be able to move faster. And it's also, I mean, that insecurity that New Zealand sometimes has about being slightly behind the other markets, that seems to run against the grain of that because if we are more vulnerable to the changes in the digital landscape, then surely we should be a few steps ahead of most other countries that are struggling with these issues but have a much larger scale. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that you know, there's, you've always got to be open to learn from others and, and, and it's about 
the mistakes as well as the victories. So everyone wants to turn up at the conference and, and, and promote, here's all the great things we've done, yeah. look how clever we are. But I think a lot of the insight comes from, here's the things we tried that didn't quite work out, or here's the things that you should never do. Um, those are invaluable lessons. You'd rather learn from someone else's yeah. mistakes than make them all yourself, right? <laughs> of course, of course. I mean, that's, that's what history is all about, yeah. essentially. Yeah. But um, looking at um, your, your, your season launch this year, what are some of the highlights that you, you'd like to pull out and maybe draw um, a pinpoint to, to the advertising and agency market? Well, it, it comes back to that, that thing about market size and market scale. So I think to, to be a viable player in this market, it's all about critical mass. Okay. And you know, so a niche within a subscale market become something that is not commercially viable quite quickly. Um, but at the same time, if I'm an advertiser, I need to reach a critical mass of New Zealanders to have a viable business myself. And and so I think for, for us, it's about ensuring that we reliably and consistently deliver a scale audience that's of value to advertisers. Do you, and on that topic, do you think mm-hmm. that that's perhaps um, to some degree why a lot of digital efforts have failed because they have been too niche to some degree? That it, it's been a focus on the niche and the segment rather than the, the need to deliver scale to, to an advertising audience? Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, you've, you, you've got to start where you start, right? Okay. So um, there's any, I mean, my view around content is there is an audience for every piece of content you could choose to make. The question is, how scalable is that? And what does it cost to create it? Yeah. So if you can make it really cost effectively, then you don't need as big an audience to make it commercially viable. But you kind of get what you pay for. So if you're investing in high quality, then you need big audiences to pay for it. I mean, otherwise you go broke. It's that simple. Precisely. What's interesting, though, is that um, in the past year we've had, or the past two years, we've had Netflix come into the market. We've had um, Lightbox. We've had a few different players come into the market. Now there's um, there's noise being made about Amazon also coming into the market. Do do you have a sense of trepidation about having to compete with yet another player in this um, field? Um, What's your sense when it comes to SVOD versus um, the the traditional broadcasting um, platforms? I think the first time you confront a global competitor rather than a local one, that's pretty daunting. But once you've done it a couple of times, you, I think you, you're not so daunted by it. You expect it, um, and I think you've got to be match fit to play against the competition that shows up on the day. It used to be a battle between local media players. That that battle has been completely displaced by the battle between global players moving into local patches, whether it's New Zealand, whether it's Australia or any other country. There's, uh, I mean, when you look at um, Netflix, for instance, um, investing as much as $6 billion into into content for its platform um, in the coming year, how, how, how does a local player compete with, with that level of spend? Especially, I mean, they're, they're, the, the Netflix business model um, would, would be make for uh, an interesting discussion on it in itself, given how yeah. much debt they're in. But um, how, how does a local player compete with that level of investment in content? I mean, I, I tend to view it along the lines of saying, if you're up against a global giant, then you don't want to play on their home turf, home turf with their home crowd and with their local referee, right? So you need to say, well, where's our home turf? And how do we play to our strengths and advantages? And that points us to local content. Yeah. That is our sustainable point of difference. So 
yes, we can do some things with international content, but the global players will always be able to spend more, and therefore we should play to our strengths. And I mean, what that suggests is a very strong um, investment in local content, which is what you guys are doing in 2018. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that there's there's definitely market demand for both. So I don't I don't think you know anyone's going to be the exclusive provider of content. Um, I think you know already households have multiple services, and I think that will continue to grow. It'll probably get to a point where people want to rationalise down to a manageable number, yeah. and we need to make sure we earn the right to be one of those players. Um, the the other aspect of TVNZ's offering at the moment that's very interesting is your digital offering because um, you guys invested quite a lot in um, bringing your website under one roof um, this year. You've um, you've invested in live streaming um, and and all these little little bits and pieces have come together for you in 2017. So how how do we see those playing out in 2018? What's the mm. next step in this digital evolution of the, of the business? So the the three areas for us and on demand are firstly user experience you know and there's and there's a lot that we can learn from other great digital experiences both in media and in other industries but we look at it and think enhance search and discovery to make it easy for people to find what they want uh, content recommendations autoplay to go to the next episode there's a lot of that that sort of functionality that we think would be make it easier for people to access the content they want we will continue to extend the number of devices and platforms that we're available on. Um, and the most vital bit is the content. You know, so for us, we are massively increasing the resource that we're putting into on-demand content. So we've got live streaming, which we do pretty well. We've got catch-up of linear episodes, which we also do pretty well. The big growth opportunity for us is the exclusive on-demand content, and you know we've just in the last last week done a deal with Warner Brothers to get over a thousand episodes of their TV titles. So some of the favourite series going back to the very first series, oh, wow. um, right through to the latest episodes of their current shows, and we'll be doing a lot more of that. Okay, and I mean that's testament to to changing the way the deals are bought and all contracts yeah. are signed and so forth. And I mean. Um, I, I suppose the other thing is that you're quite well placed to do that, given that um, TVNZ has subscri- uh, the, people have to log in to to access um, your content already, which is which is a bit of an advantage advantage to you because it gives you um, a pretty decent level of data that perhaps your competitors don't have. Yeah, I mean, right now we are currently registering in excess of a thousand new viewers per day, um, so. We think the bringing together of TVNZ On Demand and TVNZ.co.nz is making it easier for viewers. But I think having made that shift and with the growth and registrations we've got, we're really confident that there's a viable business here. So you know we're going to go after it really hard and accelerate it. I think um, to finish off, and I mean this is going to be a very hypothetical question, but sure. where, where would you see the business in five years? And five years in digital, I know it's it's yeah. kind of like putting your finger in the air, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think the there's all the things that are changing, and um, the one I, I, I read a um, I read a quote that was attributed to Jeff Bezos at Amazon recently, which really resonates. Um, and he was saying all these people were asking him that very question. Well, they were asking him what's going to change in the next five to ten years. 
And his response was, you really should be asking what's not going to change because it's those things that you can build a business around. And, you know, and, and he was very clear about for Amazon, it was about great value for money pricing and timely, speedy delivery. And that's what you and, build your business on. And he said, like, those two things won't change, so we'll build our business on that. So when I look at the media sector, there's this obsession with change, and yet what are the, what are the things that are true and that are enduring? I think there's a couple of things. One is people still need to be informed about what's happening in their world. You know, if you take Maslow's hierarchy, right, yeah. that whole thing, security and safety is knowing what's happening in my world. I think people want to be entertained, and the busier we are and the the more that we're squeezing into these kind of busy lives, the more that, that kind of release through through entertainment is, is, is really valued and important. And the keys to success are compelling content, making it available where people want to see it, and finding a way to turn eyeballs into dollars. You know, and so we think those three things are going to be true for us long term. And our goal is expressed around those very things. So we want to engage two million viewers per day. We don't care what platform they turn up on. We're really open to how we might actually turn those eyeballs into dollars. But what we do know is if we keep reaching two million New Zealanders per day, we earn the right to have a viable business. So I think there will be more viewers that are turning up with content on multiple different devices that are being streamed online. Um, and there will still be people who are choosing to watch linear TV. Um, what we need to do is make sure that it's seamless between the two and that we keep delivering the audiences that are of value. Well, from my perspective, Kevin, that uh, covers all the questions that I jotted down. But as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you and I wish you all the best for 2018. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much.